I am going to uh, start with uh, that reading I mentioned to you a little bit ago that Kay has all the way, I think it's, in, it's on um, week seven, day four, homework, <laughs> almost at the end, in other words, of your homework. As I spent the last uh, couple of weeks, I went through, um, as I have told you many times before, what I like to do is go through and read the homework and give myself sort of a synopsis of what she's asking us to do, and I will give you uh, an example of that by going through day one's synopsis that I came up with, the synopsis of, of what you're going to be doing on day one, day two, day three, day four, day five for this week so that you get a, a, a beginning point where we're at. But I want to start with reading this exhortation because as I was getting toward the end of this, this particular word to me was almost like, gee, they, they should have opened with this word of exhortation. It's a word of exhortation I think the church today desperately needs to hear. And, and I don't think it's a word that says, um, way to go, church. It's really more of a word that says, you know, church, I think maybe on the whole, the church needs to wake up. And we are approaching very dangerous times in our history. We are uh, approaching more and more we can see the end times that day when, when Antichrist will appear, when God will begin to fulfill the last portions of, the, of the, the promises that he gave to Israel, and also the promises to us, the church. And that's an exciting thing. But let me just read what she said. I'm good. It's on day, it's week seven, day four. So it's going to be all the way at the end of your book, pretty much. Okay, I'm going to read to you what it says here. It's, it's, it's just a little word of exhortation. I think it's on day four's homework at the end of it. Mm-hmm. But I'll read it and you'll get a, I'll send it out if you really want to have it. Okay, she says this. We truly believe, beloved, the reason the church isn't stronger and more distinct from the world is because we don't have a solid knowledge and understanding of God which only comes by studying the Old Testament. Now, how many of you have ever heard people say, well, I like the God of the New Testament, but I don't like that God of the Old Testament? Um, you know, the, my question is, is going to be here in a second is, is, how do you discern between the two? And do you think that's a fair statement? Do people really understand how God is portraying himself in the old? And I would venture to say, no. And a lot of it has to do with that black hole we're all in because we haven't really studied it. We haven't taken the time to get to know how God presents himself in the old because we don't take the time to really study the old. And Evelyn even mentioned earlier, first, first study in the Old Testament. Evelyn, you are in for the most exciting journey. This is going to be so eye-opening to you and me too that I think that when we are done with this, we are going to fall so much in love with the old that we're going to have a hard time sometimes moving back to the new maybe. I don't know, maybe not, but okay. Then she goes on to say, in the Old Testament, we meet God and begin to understand not only who he is, but also his ways in the affairs of individuals and nations. Now, I want to emphasize something on that in in a few minutes. We're going to talk about that. Um, Many tend to read only the New Testament, missing the foundation God lays in the old. As it says in Hosea, God's people come to ruin because they lack knowledge. That's in Hosea 4, 1 to 6. So they come to ruin because they lack knowledge. How do you lack knowledge? 
because you don't study, right? If we don't get in there and study it, you've got a big hole. But those who know their God display strength and take action. Now, where does that one come from? Everybody who took Daniel, they know. That's exactly, woo-hoo, good job, Susan. I'm happy to be a part of so many faithful students of God's word who will be among those who really do display uh, uh, strength and take action. I believe you and I are those who are going to have that kind of strength because of the knowledge that we will attain in this kind of a study. And it, and it is a unique kind of uh, insight that we don't get through studying the new, okay? Think about it from this perspective. One of the rules that we have in, in the process of inductive Bible study is that the first mention of, of a subject or whatever is, its, is usually its most declarative understanding, right? It gives you the most clear understanding or clear definition, the first use of it. Well, where is the first introductions that we get about who God is? <laughs> all the way back Genesis think on this Exodus where else Leviticus numbers numbers guys think about it numbers and Deuteronomy those are the first five books of the law they are the first five books these are the books that God gave to Moses to give to Israel when they were on the land in the wilderness and about to enter into the promised land the land that we are going to be looking at and studying in these next few weeks. So if you consider that the first use of a word or the first introduction of it is in those first five books, then what you can know is some of the most important information for us to understand about who our God is is found in the Old Testament. It came before the what? New, <laughs> right? Okay, so I just think that's a minor point to bring out, but it's a big one in my mind. Thank you for, for being that for me, though. Those, those students who are, who are really committed and, and are going to be those who display uh, strength and take action. The taking action part is going to be really cool as we begin to see our lives really transformed with the power of this kind of knowledge. Um, God's church so desperately needs every one of you. Do you guys believe that? How, how many of you all have had encounters since you've become an inductive student where you've begun to really grab hold of uh, doctrinal knowledge that really anchors you, that now you have conversations with people and you're realizing, woo, you just went right over their head. Just, and you're like, was, is that, was that me? Was that who I was a few years back? That, that's a shocker when it begins to happen. And then the other, the other side of that is it's also really difficult sometimes to have really good in-depth conversations with most of the church because they don't have knowledge. They haven't, they haven't disciplined themselves. But I'm just going to say to you right now, thank you, thank you, thank you for that sweet fellowship that you guys give to me. And that is what we will have with one another. And once um, Lois prepares the roster and we're able to send it out, you all will have one another's addresses and phone numbers and emails. And I strongly encourage that you build bonds with one another, that you, you know, share insights or even ask each other questions as you're going along in the journey. Or if you get stuck in a homework, you're always welcome to call me or email me or text me. And I am very happy to answer any kind of questions. But it's really fun, isn't it, Martha, to sit down with another friend who's doing the same homework and banter it back and forth before you can even come into this environment because it helps you when you're kind of trying to process some of the steps that you're taking and trying to figure out 
um, maybe even get redirected. Sometimes we get off on rabbit trails <laughs> because we got a personal interest in some subject or something that's going on in our life or in our churches. And so we, we see something and it takes us down this little rabbit trail and we end up way over here. And so it's really nice to have one another to call on and to help to pull you back in and say, okay, yes, but we're studying about this and this is what we're supposed to be focusing on. That's good, but pull back in and, and let's try to get to the point of what we're looking at here. So th there's some great um, benefits to having iron sharpening iron, right? Okay. Now, let me just start to go through with you some of the things that you're going to be looking at and doing in the next week, okay? N uh, number one, you're going to be doing a ton, a ton of chapter observations, inductive work. Because every time, in each week's homework, some of them have two and three observation worksheets you'll be doing. Buckle your seats. Do not, do not delay in doing homework. Give yourself plenty of time, especially for newbies on this. Those of you who are new, new at doing inductive study. Um, doing your observation worksheets, as you know, is the time-consuming most time-consuming part of all of it. Once you get through the observation worksheet, then you're looking at some key words, you're making some lists, but those go a little quicker, right? The observations themselves seem to be, for me anyway, what take the longest amount of time. In that process of, of looking, doing basic observations, you're going to be marking key words, um, you're going to be looking for time references, you're going to be looking at individual people and trying to keep them straight in your head, right? Um, you'll also be doing some keyword studies occasionally, but not, not as many as you would in like a New Testament epistle, but on occasion she'll have you doing, doing that. Um, so because you're still, you are using process, if, there's a couple things you have to keep in mind. Number one uh, that I really love about precept is they train you to discern what kind of literary work you are working in first and foremost, right? What kind of books are we looking at when we are studying Kings and Chronicles? History. When you pick up a history book, even if it's not biblical, how do you interpret the information you're reading in a history book? Literal. So... When you are gleaning f these these points that you're going to make on say on a list, say you say you say you see you're looking at Solomon, right? You've marked him as a key word, and now you're going to begin to make a list. And as you make a list about Solomon, the points that are given to you in Scripture are they truth points or are they Im imagery? They are truth points. This is really an important quality to keep in mind. I, I had a conversation recently with a person. Um, who we were talking about the book of Genesis again. Genesis is what kind of book? History. So when you read Genesis chapter 1, the creation of the earth, which God gave to Moses to give to Israel so that as they entered onto the land, they would know who they were, where they came from. In Genesis 1, what do we discover about who we are and where we came from? God created us. So God is our creator. Do you think that's a fundamental truth that God really thinks is an important thing for us to know? Well, it's the very first thing he told us. <laughs> Who are you? Where did you come from? Who's your creator? Um, and it's a fact because this is a history record. When he says, and there was evening and there was morning, day one, what did he mean by that? 
He meant there it was evening and there was. How long does it take from e evening to morning? T well, 12 hours. And then from evening to the next morning is another 12. So it is a 24-hour day. It is a literal day. Now, we're not going to go into the details on that, but I could show you how we come to that through looking at the fullness of it, doing an inductive study on that. But my point here is history books are factual, right? And, the, and so the author, when he is being inspired by God to write, he is giving you facts. And what kind of facts is he generally hitting on when you look at a his, historical record? Who, what, what, where, when, how, okay. And it's people, places, and events primarily, right? So those are the things that you're going to be looking at when you're doing your, your uh, observations. I think it would, it would behoove you all to, to look at two chapters in your how-to study books. I use this particular, this is my inductive Bible study Bible, almost. <laughs> Precept Ministry puts these out. If you don't own one of these, we have them for sale, don't we? Uh, Carol, are they still over there? Okay. How much are they? $8. What a steal. That's good. Because I think they're like 11 or 12 if you go to the local bookstore for them. So $8 for this. But this is a resource that you will use over and over. Every single time you do a Bible study, you will use this. Within here, are, it starts with the basic principles of doing inductive study. And then as each chapter progresses, it highlights certain qualities of doing the inductive process that may vary depending on the literary style of work that you're in. It's going to talk about uh, uh, different kinds of literary styles, like um, um, if it's a metaphor, or if it's a simile, or if it's so they'll explain that, and so that you can identify those kind of things for the books that that will be pertinent in, or it'll go it'll go through and give you. Um, just those basic instructions, and that's the ones I want you to look at. So I'm going to I'm going to give you a, a assignment to go back and review chapter. Um, I think it's chapter three. On mine, it's on page 41. Each printing it might be a little different, so I'm just telling you the chapter. It's called "Focusing in on the Details," and it's a very short, few pages, guys. You're only talking. Let's see here if I can. Oh, it looks like maybe six pages, and the print is pretty big. So you that's how much you really only have to review. It's a tiny bit. But if you will just go back really quickly and read through this chapter 3, focusing in on the details, it will remind you of what the steps are for doing an observation worksheet. And since you are going to be doing two and three observations worksheets per homework assignment each week, I think it would be important for you to just go back and reread this just to refresh your mind because sometimes Kay doesn't ask you to do every step, but I honestly think it's important you do every step because sometimes there's little things that you miss just because you skipped a one little point of, of observation. So I would go back and reread that chapter. Another one that I think might be real helpful to you is um, called The Summary of the Inductive process. It's on page 157. And I generally try to read this whenever we're starting a, um, a new class. And partly it's because of a discovery I made. Um, years back, they did not have this written in their, in their instructions, but now they do. And I'm going to read it to you real quick. Remember, 
the overview, we've talked, we haven't talked about that yet in uh, this particular time, but overview is something you generally do when you're doing a um, epistle. You start from the, it's, you know, most, most New Testament books are five, six, seven, sometimes they're up to 11 or 12 chapters, but generally they're smaller books, right? Three, four, five chapters. So you read through the whole book on the whole and you get the whole flow of thought. You mark keywords that run through the whole thing. And in doing that, you end up finding out what the author's major subject is in that book. But you cannot do that if you're doing historical books. Look at how many chapters you, you have in these historical books. They're very large. Remember, the overview is usually reserved for letters. So she tells you that in this introduction page on summary of the inductive price process. On this book, this is on page 157, and it's, it's called Appendix A. So I don't know where you'll find it in your book, but it's going to be at the end. After all the other chapters are discussed, then she has this little appendix. But the cool thing about it is she gives you a summary of what you're doing in inductive Bible study. Just a list, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, tells you basically what, you, what it is that you're supposed to be doing. And it's very, I think it's helpful because it's real concise without all the rest of the information in there. Um, also, in letters, you can develop the book theme before the chapter themes, but in other genres, you should develop the chapter themes first. Okay, so that is what you actually are going to be doing. You're going to go in chapter by chapter, and she's going to ask you now, look at 1 Kings chapter 1. Read that chapter and discern what you think that chapter is about. Once you do that, you're going to title it. That's what they call a theme. Okay, the theme of the, of the book is your title for the book. All the other steps below work well for all other kinds of books, but in historical books, you're not going to do overview. You're going to go chapter by chapter, and each chapter, you're going to look for its major emphasis. Then you're going to move to the next chapter. You're going to look for its major em emphasis. And what's going to happen then is as you move through, slowly you're going to begin to develop and you're going to see a pattern. The, you're going to begin to look also carefully for, and she'll remind you of this as you, in your homework assignments, looking for seg any segment divisions, divisions. Is there a place where you see that so many of these chapters seem to be covering a certain subject or a certain king or a certain period in history or a certain feast. Or I mean, there's different ways you can break things down. And, and once you discover that, you're going to begin to do that on an observation chart that she's going to give you that's called at-a-glance chart. And so she will guide you as you get to that later, so you don't have to worry about that too much right now. But those are the kinds of things you're going to do in your homework uh, for history books you're taking it a chapter at a time. Kind of makes it nice once you know that. You, you kind of rest. Your gut goes, okay, I don't have to worry like I do in the New Testament about getting this whole big picture yet. I just have to take it one chapter at a time and wait for God to reveal things to me as I do my observations. Be patient and wait on the Lord. It's really an important thing. We learned that in our ABF this week. Okay. Um, Okay, so there was that. And then the other thing in here that I noticed, and, and um, I just want to mention it real quick, is on page 123, it's chapter 13. So whatever your book is, it's chapter 13. There's a section called The Transformed Life. And in our homework, there are going to be two things that we're going to be doing. We are going to look for, hold on a second, let me find my notes here. I la laid them down. P chapter 13. Well, it's on 123, and you're in the same book I'm in, 123. 
Is it this one? Oh, okay. It's, well, this one is called the transfer. Look in your appendix. If you don't find it that way, look in the appendix and see if she has a title, a chapter title called The Transformed Life. Did you find it? Not yet. Oh, okay. All right. I'll, I'll give you just a second to look. Do you? Oh, good. What chapter is it there? Okay, it's part three. Uh, okay, so just look uh, look in the in the appendix on, on your um, whatever uh, uh, at a glance or, or how to study your Bible book. Just look in the in the front of it there and find out where that chapter is because each book is laid out slightly different. I just discovered. <laughs> I mean, I knew they were a little bit, and that's why I wrote down. But I thought they were. I thought the chapter numbers wouldn't have changed, but they did. Anyway, so what you're going to be looking for in your how-to study book is the section that says the transformed life. The reason I'm bringing this up is there are going to be two things that we are going to em be emphasizing as we are doing our study in um, uh, a heart like his, right? That we're working on right now, series one. The first thing we're going to be looking at is focusing in on God. So. Every single lesson you do, if you anytime you see God, you're gonna you're gonna mark him in a distinctive way, and you're gonna begin a list. I made myself a list that I can just keep printing off on my computer and adding to it as I go. Can you see this? What I did? All I did was give myself two columns with my word my was it called Word Perfect or Word whatever it is Word document, and uh, that way. Chapter by chapter, I don't have to keep um, this list in separate places. I want to accumulate it together in one place. I think that'll be easier. And she doesn't tell you to do it that way, but I'm suggesting it to you. So that'll be, I think it'll be more concise and, and easier for you. You don't want to lose these points because progressively, God's, he's going to introduce to you qualities and characteristics about who he is. And that's going to be 1 Kings chapter 1. Then when you move to chapter 2, he's going to introduce some more insights. And then when you hit to chapter 3, more. So it'd be nice to have them all in one place. So I suggest you start a list on God right from the very beginning and accumulate it all in, on one sheet. And then if you have this on your uh, computer, you can just print out another sheet because I'm pretty sure we're going to run out of room. I mean, this is going to be full and then some. Okay, so there's that. So that's the first thing you're going to be doing. The second thing you're going to be doing is what's called life lessons, which is why I asked you to look up this, The Transformed Life. She gives a whole chapter to this. The, 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 um, the concept that once we learn information, we need to then take it to application. It's going to be a little more challenging, I think, sometimes when you're going from something like an Old Testament historical record about Israel and their nation and their kings. Sometimes for some of us, it's a little more challenging to say, well, how does that apply to us, right? So I kind of broke it down into something I thought it was kind of a revelation to me this morning in the bathroom God gave me. <laughs> As I was taking my shower, God gives me these thoughts. He just talks to me a lot in the shower. I don't know why. But what I'm going to show you, I think, is kind of fundamental for repetitive insights to keep in mind as we're doing this homework. Number one, God is going to speak to us in this particular study about the nation of Israel, right? Nation of Israel. 
but he's also going to be talking to us about individuals in Israel, right? The people. And then one more thing. Who else is the other one, you think, specific? Besides individuals, then there's who? No? Who's, who's the first subject we're going to be coming up in 1 Kings 1? The, king, the prophets and the kings. So in this case, it's going to be the, specifically the kings. The kings of Israel. Okay. That's what we're going to be studying, correct? And when God gives us um, records, as he has done, and he gives us things like, for instance, he gave us the temple, right? What is the purpose for God giving us these records or, in the, the case of the temple, why did he give us the temple? What do we learn about the tem- from the temple? The pattern, it foreshadows things. So there's a spiritual message in it, right? So as we're looking at the nation of Israel, the individuals in Israel, and the kings of Israel, what you and I can understand are there are principles of truth that we will draw out of those insights that we can make application to us, right? And so I want to parallel this, or just, I'm I'm going to call it a contrast, but it's going to be a parallel. We're going to talk about, we're going to look at the things that we're looking at when we look at the nation of Israel, when we hit those qualities where she says, these are life lessons, and I want you to write, record what you see for your personal insights. And the first one is, we're going to look at at the church, basically, on the whole, as the institution that would be equal to the nation of Israel. He spoke to the nation of Israel, and he and he's teaching them certain qualities or truths about his relationship with them and what he expects from them, right? Well, in the same way, then, for personal application, what we need to do then is take those kinds of insights about the nation, when he's speaking about the nation collectively on the whole, and say, well, today it's the church. He's relating to the church as his nation, right, his holy nation. And so what are the things that he was teaching them there that would apply to me now? Would you say that on the whole that God's principles never change? His character, his, his righteousness, his holiness, his intended purposes for those who are called by his name, right? So he had a nation of people co- that were called by his name, and in these records that we're going to be studying, he's teaching them principles about who he is and about their relationship with him and how they are to represent him, and how they are to live for him, how they are to be a light, right, to the, to the world around them. In the same way, today he uses the church. So that's how we're going to be able to bring it forward, is remember, when he's speaking to the nation, he, for you and I, we can make application to, then those would be principles that we can apply to the church today. Is, okay? Secondly, then, again, it would be individuals. in the church and then the last one if it was the kings of Israel then what would be the application for us in the new the leaders of our churches okay the leaders of our churches then they would be able to take that information so these would be this right here is your life application
okay? And you want to, now, the point to all this is what God is doing is he, God is making himself known to the world around, right? Making himself known. We, what are we to be? What was Israel to be to the world? A light. They were to be a light. A light to the world. Um, on an individual basis, then, as they were a light to the world, what was it they were proclaiming to the world about who God was? What were they supposed to be showing God as? Holy. Right. Okay. And? Okay, the only one to be worshipped, all right. This, okay, you could go on and on. His sovereignty, his righteousness, his holiness, his, his um, truthfulness, his forbearance with us. His, you could go on and on and on, whatever that is. A light to the world, and it's going to be to proclaim who God is, right? To proclaim God and his glory. Okay, the facts that we are going to study from the Old Testament are going to cover, well, primarily there's going to be two things that really are going to be the strongest emphasis, I think, in our study. The first one we've already talked about, that is God himself, okay? So you're going to be studying about God, you're going to make that lovely list that we just talked about. You're going to progressively add to it. And as you do that, you're going to get to know your God better, right? The second subject, I think, that's going to come up strong, uh, although it's not necessary, uh, well, I think it will be mentioned, but, but it's the, the subject of covenant. Because within covenant, God has responsibilities and expectations of us, his children, right? And of us the church, and of us as individuals and, uh, and, and our leaders. And so as we're studying those subjects in the Old Testament, up here we're studying facts. These are going to be our lists, uh, our, our cross-references for, you know, further information. That's what we're going to, it's just going to be, in your homework it's going to be, list, mark down, examine, timeline it, look at who they are, make a list so that you understand who this person is. You're going to compare people. You're going to compare David, for instance, to Solomon. One of the key words is going to be the word heart. That's going to come up, and she's going to, he's going to ask you to, or she's going to ask us to mark the word heart and keep a list. It might be another one that you might want to do a, a list on that you just keep adding to it. There may be some of these in here that, because they're such big subjects like covenant, heart, God, um, there's going to be some other sin that's going to come up um, that you may want to do just a running list on those as well. So it's just a suggestion up front. And, you know, sometimes there's these kind of things that inductively, you know, the process of, of doing your homework that come to me later. But this time, because I managed to have the time to go through and look at every week's homework, now I kind of have some of these little insights. And so that's why I'm suggesting them. You don't have to do them, but they're just little tips that I think might be helpful. Another one is going to be this, and I can list these for you, or I send this list out to you if you want. I went through and accumulated from the homework assignments the major key words that are going to be used or, or, or brought up eventually over and over and over and over and over. 
And in time, and what she's going to ask you to do in your homework is to, to make it what she calls a bookmark. And many of you who've been around a while know what I'm talking about. Just a, it's just a sheet like this or an index card. You can write it smaller than this if you want. And she wants you to progressively add to your bookmark as you do each week's homework. And then these are words that you want to mark in the same way on every observation worksheet so that there's continuity. And that way you can easily spot that same subject each time. So that when you, when you do chapter one and you mark David or Solomon or Hart or something about covenant, you don't want to, by the time you get to chapter 12, have changed that marking so that they're not the same because then you lose it when you're flipping through your pages. So um, I could actually send this out if you're interested because since I've already done all, okay. But what will happen for you then is a lot of these you're not going to see right away in your in your first week's homework. You'll get to them later, but at least you'll know ahead of time that these are coming up. You might be able to think about how you'd like to mark those and also mark them distinctively from one another, having color choices, having symbol choices that can help you identify them easily. And then you're, you're going to have a lot more continuity as you go through these uh, eight chapters. And the great thing, I think, is I'll bet a lot of these words are going to be in the Series 2 and in Series 3 and in Series 4. And we've got 10 series to get through. I'll bet these same words are going to be used over and over. So doing something like this might be helpful. I know there's 10. <laughs> Don't faint back there. <laughs> but you know what? Some of them are, are like th three or four weeks, five weeks. They're short. So uh, the good thing about the way they planned this particular curric curriculum on the kings and the prophets is they broke it down so that you feel like you're accomplishing something as you move through. We're going to have eight weeks in where in the study that we're in, and eight weeks for a precept study short. For our, our, for those of us who've been around, eight weeks is like, oh, that's nothing I can do. Actually, I talked to somebody the other day. I can't remember who it was. might have been one of you, but they said, well, how long is this? I said, it's just eight weeks. Oh, I could do that. Uh, yeah, you could. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, I didn't go there, but yes. <laughs> okay, so I'll send this out uh, with Lois. Lois, just remind me to send this to you, and, I, and you'll have it. And does anybody want this since I've already done it? This chart as well. You don't have to make one up. Okay, I'll send both of these things out. So one, I'll send out the, the God uh, sheet, and then this is the one for the words, words that you're going to be, begin to mark. And you'll have a heads up on them, and... Hopefully, that'll make your observation look sh uh, worksheets look a lot cleaner when you're doing them later. Okay, now, let me see where I'm at on this. Um, one of the, I just want to go through and talk about the value of this inductive uh, style of learning really quickly, just to remind you why we're doing all this hard work that we're doing. Number one, it does give us a systematic process to follow. I love systems, and I like continuity, and I like very clear, clear divine guidance. You know, I want someone to say, this is how it's done. I like recipes. I have friends who don't follow recipes. We know one of those, don't we, Martha? <laughs> Won't follow a recipe or a pattern. I have a, qu a quilting friend. Oh, Lois isn't here, but I have a quilting friend in our group. She never follows the pattern, and then she ends up in trouble. And she, <laughs> she, and she scratches her head and wonders how she's going to make it fit together. But, you know, I love guidance. And so 
this particular process that we're using, the one of the things I think that makes it great, and Diane and I were talking about this in, in uh, ABF yesterday, is how valuable uh, this tool really is for a person who will uh, submit to learning it and just being faithful to do some of these repetitive uh, skills. Because it, steps and procedures, they are repetitive and they are logical. Once you get used to them, you know exactly what you're doing. If I say, do an observation worksheet, everybody thinks, ah, colored pencils, we're going to mark keywords. We're going to make lists. We're going to look for contrasts and comparisons. We're going to mark references of time. We know what the steps are in it. So it becomes really a comfortable friend, okay? The, n the other thing I love about the inductive process is it sets boundaries. One of the most difficult things is to work with a person who... Um, won't admit, basically, that God has clearly defined uh, character and a clearly defined way of handling certain issues. And, and he's repetitive and he's consistent. And he doesn't change his mind. And in that way, God never changes his mind. His plan for salvation is always the same, right? The way to the Father is through what? Through his son, Jesus Christ. And there is no other way to the Father except through Christ. So um, he sets boundaries, and there's a couple of things that help us know what our boundaries are. Number one is what? You never violate known doctrines. What are known doctrines? How, how would you explain a known doctrine to someone? Okay, something that's repeatedly stated somewhere else in the Bible, okay? There you go. What you absolutely know is true, and it's kind of unarguable by most denominations of people. On the whole, they are the points about our faith that everyone agrees with. Uh, Paul does a really good job of laying one of those out, right? Can, can you remember kind of that Jesus did what? He was born to a virgin. He, uh, he, he died on the cross. He was buried. Three days later, he resurrected. He now sits where? The right hand of the throne of God. Nobody will argue with that. The, everybody's in agreement about that, about those doctrines, about who Jesus is and what, and what his life uh, unfolded for him. So those known doctrines that you don't really have, what is sin? Who is God? What is salvation? And how do you get saved? Some of those kinds of principles are, are what... Uh, the known doctrines that we're talking about that God established when he wrote the Pentateuch he wanted p the people to know two basic things who is God and who is man right and so those would be doctrines the doctrine about who man is the doctrine about who God is those pillars then are consistent they're really not arguable and you don't ever want to violate them so for instance if you come upon a passage that you're scratching your head and it says something that sounds like that doesn't, that doesn't sound like who God is to me. So what is the problem then if, if I'm looking at a verse and I'm thinking that it's not telling me the truth about who God is? Operator error. Operator error. Very good, <laughs> Becky. I like that. That is the best one. That 
that is the best way to say operator error. There's something, <laughs> there's something wrong on my side that I'm either, I'm either short on insights or information or I'm looking at something incorrectly, right? My conclusion is an error if I'm looking at a passage and it looks to me like it's saying something about who God is that is not true because I know my known doctrine, that's my pillar, that holds me and sets my boundaries, and that known doctrine cannot be violated. So if somebody says in my Sunday school class something that's not true about who God is, I stand over here and go, oops, known doctrine, that's wrong, right? And I can, that helps me, does it not? Does it help you to have that kind of real clearly defined boundary? Okay, so that's one. The other one is to allow context to rule for interpretation because context is king. And we're going to be talking about kings a lot in here, and we're going to understand the idea of ki kings and kingship uh, really clearly by the time we're done with our studies in, in the kings and prophets. But kings, what a, what a uh, allowing your context to, to be king for interpretation does for you is it helps you to not interpret something incorrectly. So... How do you come to understand what the context is for chapter 1 of 1 Kings? Since we're not doing a contextual setting for the book on the whole, what do we need to do in order to, to know what our context is? We need to know what type of writing it is. Okay, that's one step. That's okay, and then you need to know who the author is. Okay. Time, date, recipients. Okay, what are you guys just now doing? What is this called collectively? Observation worksheet, right? So you have to do your observation worksheet thoroughly. You must do your homework. If you don't look at your chapter one and do a thorough job on your observation worksheet, you're not going to know what your immediate context is. And since your immediate context is going to rule for your interpretation about what's being said, and as you want, particularly when we hit to things like life lessons, which are a little more vague, we're going to take facts and we're going to try to draw them forward to the new. Can you see where that would be a problem if you haven't done a thorough observation on, your, on setting your your, your context so that you come to a good interpretation. If you come to a bad interpretation here on the facts that you're listing in your weekly homework, how are you going to, and, and you come to error in this, how are you going to pull it forward then and make a proper application? Are you going to be able to do that? The answer is no. No, Mrs. Phillips, you're not. <laughs> right? Right, that's what they say to their teacher. Um, so these two pillars are super important. Your, your immediate context rules for interpretation and never violate your known doctrine. So keep those two things in mind constantly as you're doing your work in, uh, in this, the series of the prophets and the kings. Okay, that's, that's your number two. Set bound, it sets boundaries for us. Those are so important. The next thing, it keeps you objective, not subjective. I'm not going to go into a lot of, of detail, but you, you do that by all those inductive processes, marking your keywords, uh, key you're going to do some cross-referencing, you're going to do all kinds of things that are going to help you to um, look at it through this piece, and then, or this step, right, of your work, then this next step of your work, and then this next step of your work. And if all you're doing is objectively doing that step, not trying to draw conclusions yet, just doing the step, 
then what happens is when you're done with all the steps, you pull back and you look at all of it, now you can draw a conclusion. And instead of it being subjective, for instance, I love the subject of suffering. And so everything is about suffering, and it doesn't matter what we're reading, it's all about you suffering for the, for the sake of Christ. And so I'm going to drop into this thing and say, oh, see, this is all about suffering. See how they're suffering? Well, in fact, they probably are definitely going to have some suffering qualities in there. But if my perspective is subjective and I see everything in the Have you ever known a person who everything in the Bible is about the Jews or everything in the Bible is about... Um, salvation in the New Testament. They don't even really want to do the old because everything is about Jesus in the new, which is true. I mean, it does, but they don't want to go into the old because it's all about the new. That's subjective looking. If you have, that's putting God in a box. It's putting your mind in a box. So the tools, right, right, right. So the value of doing the inductive Bible study style of of homework is that it keeps you objective. Each step that you do, if you just stay focused on what is it asking me to do, oh, mark keywords, okay. What makes a keyword? How do you know if it's key? It's generally, it's repeated a lot. There's only one other exception to that, and that is sometimes a word is mentioned once but it becomes obvious that, it's, it, that if it's removed from the context of that, of that writing, it leaves the rest of what has been said devoid of meaning or purpose because it's, it's, so it's such an important subject. For instance, we're going to see that, I think, on the whole about the subject of covenant. Even if the word covenant isn't mentioned, you're going to begin to see pretty quickly covenant is a very strong uh, theme throughout everything that's being done here because everything is being done based on the fact that God made a covenant prior to this, and he's fulfilling it, right? He's keeping his word. Some of it is good, exciting, right? I'm going to give you a king, I'm going to keep him on the throne forever, right? That part we love, because eventually that takes us to who? Jesus, who is the king who will be on that throne forever through the lineage of David. However, there's also other promises he made. That is, if you obey me, I will bless you, but if you disobey me, what? I will curse you and I will remove you off the land. That one isn't quite so happy. However, it's still a truth and it's still a promise that he made and he is going to fulfill it and you bank on it. And when it comes to start making applications, as we're looking at that particular point in the old and we're making our lists and we're looking at the facts, but when we draw it forward to the new, is there an application for us too? Yeah, there is. Because the principle of covenant, which we are in, by the way, with God, is also true. And that is, in covenant, there are responsibilities and expectations of us, his covenant people. We don't earn our salvation, but we have entered a covenant. And in covenant, there are responsibilities. Thank you, Glenn. That's a good off effort. He says, yep, there is. And, you know, that is a quality about salvation that our churches often miss. They don't understand that. Okay, so... Doing these steps keeps you objective rather than subjective so that you get drawn into something that's not important or that's not even really there. It helps you focus on what, is, what the author's intent is and, you st and it gives you kind of those boundaries so that you stay on task. Okay, the other thing is it, it does build you up in the knowledge of God, which is really our biggest goal. Our biggest 
attaining thing is that we come to know God better, right? For the, for the, for the fact that what we want to do is know him so that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've had in Christ Jesus. All right. It develops our doctrinal knowledge. How important do you think it is to have good doctrinal knowledge, bigger picture doctrinal knowledge? There you go. Because how often have we come into contact with real dilemmas in our life, with people who either want to live or act immorally, or who want to do the, really the wrong thing or have a bad attitude or a wrong attitude, things that would be contrary to honoring God and giving him glory, and yet we don't, we don't seem to understand the, the principle, or they don't understand that principle that they are violating, right? Because they don't have their doctrines about who God is down solid. God says this, this is how I'm to behave. Rather, the, what they do is they go, you know, this is what I want. Now, we're going to see this in chapter 1, 1 Kings. This is what I want, so I'm going to force it and make it happen, and I'm going to ask God to put a stamp of approval on it. Instead of remembering what God taught or what God promised and say, oh, wait a minute, God didn't promise that to me. I better get on board with God. So that's why I think it, studying inductively is awesome because you're going to learn the doctrines by learning who God is and learning what God has said, and then you and I can get on board with God. That's a novel idea, right? I love that. <laughs> okay, on board, do... Um, we're going to do a real quick timeline. What I want to do also for contextual setting for you guys right now is do this real quick timeline. We know that in 1 Kings 1, we are starting... Here it is. We are starting with Solomon, correct? Everybody knows that? That's in 1 Kings 1. Um, now, in order to give you guys just very small, this is not going to be a lot of detail, but I want you to just kind of have your boundaries. For those of you who have not done a lot of Old Testament study, you just kind of need to get your boundaries, right? So this is what I always tell everybody, you know, we're not going to start with, with um, Adam and Eve, <laughs> but we could go all the way back to where covenant began, right? Who, who did covenant concerning Israel begin with? Abraham, right? So we might want to go all the way back here and talk about Abraham. Look at him on H. I can't talk and do it at the same time. I'm sorry. We're going to go back to Abraham where the covenant was given. And in the covenant, God promised him three basic things. Do you remember what they are? Okay, land, seed, and nation. He promised those three things. A father of many nations, he would have a land to live upon and, and a seed through, through his wife Sarai. And eventually that seed in the, in the New Testament, in Galatians 3, the real seed that he was promising him to him there was who? Christ Jesus. And he believed God, and what did God do? Credited to him as righteousness. That's in Genesis 15. So if you're not familiar with it, you might want to go back to Genesis 15 and just read that. There's a little bit more all the way back, to actually even starting in 12, where he first entered, he brings him from the land of the Chaldean. It's got a great storyline. But if you just want the heart of that covenant that God made, promising Israel the land that they were going to be living on, you go all the way back to Abraham into Genesis 15. Okay, land, seed, and nation was promised to him 
the seed is Christ. You can go to Galatians um, 3.15, I think it is. Or 3.16, might be 16. But anyway, that, that'll get you in the, the ballpark to get you started. Okay, who came before Solomon on our timeline? His father, David, right? Who was, and he was a king, right? Solomon was a king. Who came before David? Saul. Very good. You guys do know your, your history. There, you see, you're doing pretty good. Did you not know on day one before you even opened your book and had, had a, even the lesson that you actually know a lot, don't you? Okay, so Saul. Now, before Saul, who was Saul, by the way? He was the first king. He was the first king of Israel. So that means before Saul, there were no kings, right? Who ruled them before king? The judges. That's right. So you have judges. All right. Now, before that, there was a certain man. There you go, Moses. We have Moses, Joshua, Judges, Saul, David, and Solomon. And then... This is what we're going to be studying, is this little spot right here, leading up to who? The cross to Christ. That's way down in history. We're not obviously going to make it to the New Testament or to Jesus in this study. But what I'm showing you on this very simple timeline is this is where we are in history. Now, you tell me this. How does that help you to get this visually in your mind? What kind of questions does it pose for you? Does it, or does it fill in anything for you? There you go. It gives us contextual setting. So even though we are not doing an overview for the book of Kings, we just set context for Kings. What has come before that's of significance to this study? And, and what is going to come later? Right? What will come after? And what we can see now is with Solomon, he was the third in line of kings. We know Saul and David came before. That means that probably Saul and David, it wouldn't hurt us to go back maybe and read a little bit about Saul and David. But, but um, you don't have to. But I would go back maybe at least read Second uh, Samuel. 1 Samuel would be even better, 1st and 2nd Samuel. But start with 2nd. If you only have time for one book to do a real quick read-through, I would suggest start with 2nd Samuel. That'll bring you right up to where we are with 1st Kings. Okay? It'll give you the context. It'll teach you in that reading, in that real quick reading, it'll give you a refreshed remembrance about the father David. And the reason I think that's an important thing for you to do for yourself, and it's not in your homework, so it's extra, guys, but I think it'll be helpful to you is because in this study, I've noticed that often this, uh, Kay asks us to make comparisons about David and Solomon or David and the other kings that are going to come up after Solomon, okay? And so to just to refresh your memory about a little bit about who David was and what his relationship was was with God and some of the things he did, you know, which helps to reveal to you something important, I think, especially when we start talking about the subject of sin and the difference between David's heart and his son Solomon's heart is going to become really evident as you dig in deeply into First and Second Kings and Chronicles when we get there, okay? So that's context. That gives you a little bit of context. Very simple little tool. It's not in the homework, but I always do it for myself. I do a very simple timeline. 
I plug in what's come before and what's and kind of looking ahead to where we're going. But what's come before is is important, and it has impact because for one thing, God has had influence and things to say prior to where we're picking up in First Kings, and. There are some assumptions that are made for you and me when we open up 1 Kings this week in our homework. You're going to see that right away there's an assumption that you, that you somehow know what Solomon should have known and what these other uh, key players in chapter 1 should have known about things that God has already said or established. And if God has said something, or God has established or decreed something, would you say that's an important thing for a person to know? Do you guys remember when we did our Hebrews study and we hit chapter 5 and 6 of Hebrews, and, and the, the author was rebuking these believers because he says, you, you don't know the precepts, you haven't ha- been handling the word of God in order to have that kind of knowledge that you need to discern good from evil? I, I think they should have had that one written to them way back it, before the writing of the things that we're going to be looking at. Because it is apparent to me when you get into chapter 1 that this king's, the, the, this little rivalry that you're going to see developing here in this first chapter could have been totally avoided had they known what God had already decreed and promised and had they believed God and simply got on board with God's program. And I think that's a mindset for you and I to enter into this week's homework is to remember God had a program. He had already decreed certain things. There are certain things these individuals should have already known and did know. And you should know as well, but unfortunately we're dropping into 1 Kings uh, right off the bat, which means I think going back to First and Second Samuel, particularly at least 2 Samuel, it will be helpful to you. It'll give you a little more context to what you're getting into here, Okay. All right, I think, let me see if there's anything else I need to tell you about. Okay, let me just real briefly, because we're, and, and then we'll be done. We'll be done a whole hour early today, guys. Um, let me just mention to you some of the life lessons that we're going to be discussing. I think it's really exciting. The personal application parts that are going to be coming up. And these are some things that I just kind of gleaned out um, Without having done all the homework thoroughly, there's probably things I've missed. But um, just trying to glean out of what's being said in the instructions, I'm trying to pull out what it is I think she's going to take us to. Um, in chapter 13 of your how-to study book, I told you to look at that, that section called The Transformed Life. Uh, you're going to read the whole chapter and keep these things in mind for your life lesson, what's in that chapter, okay? Because every time she asks you a life lesson question, um, uh, it's going to be helpful to just refresh your mind as to where she's going, what her focus is, what your focus should be. What is your goal in doing a historical record of ancient history? Right? It, it's to get to a personal application. So, we're gonna kn- so we're gonna, we want to gain knowledge of who God is and what his, his purposes are. And then we want to see how do I then take those, those truths and bring them forward to my life. Okay, so here's some some things are going to come up. The heart. I already told you that's going to be a key word, right? We're going we're gonna to look at choices we make, faith and faithfulness. We're going to look at repentance. We're going to look at temptations and sin. Those are significant life 
application questions, would you not say? And we're going to do that th filtering through whatever the event and the person's scenario that's uh, set up for us in each, each of the chapters that we're going to look at. So when you get in there and you're, you're thinking, oh my gosh, here's another keyword, here's another list, just remember where you're heading for is the heart and to find out what it is that you and I need to know about repentance and about faithfulness and about um, God's loving kindness that's going to come up. We're going to talk about right away here the, the counsel that you listen to. Who do you seek out in your personal life for solid counsel on how to handle difficult things in your life? Well, first and foremost, we should always go to God. But on a human level, within, within the world that you live on, the people you can touch and see, see and come face to face with, who do you seek counsel from? Okay, that's going to be a great subject, and that's week one. Um, your responsibility to know God's word and obey it, that, as I brought up in Hebrews, right away he rebukes them for not knowing. By now you should be teachers, but you're not. You're still on milk, he said in Hebrews chapter 5. And you've had long enough to know, well, guess what? These kings that we're going to be looking at, they had history. They had insight. They knew what God's plan was. They knew the things that God had decreed. And so as they came to life choices about things, their personal aspirations in life, what they wanted to do and how they wanted to see things unfold, they should have been remembering what God had already decreed, right? Your responsibility is to know God's word and obey it. So that's another life lesson we're going to talk about. What about wisdom? What is wisdom? Where do you get wisdom from? How is it defined by God? Not the wisdom of the world, obviously. Turn on the news. Listen to Hollywood. What do they think is wisdom? Right? And, and, and it's not like I'm trying to be arrogant about, you know, I know something they don't know. But God tells me something they know that, that they obviously don't know that I seem to know. Um, I, I've had a conversation recently with someone who totally did not understand that, that my, quote, opinions, which are, how do they put it, judgmental. This is a family member, so they can be a little harsher sometimes, but you're very judgmental, right? And I said, but I'm not being judgmental. I'm standing on what God says. So it's not Katie saying this is right and this is wrong. It's God's word saying this is right and this is wrong, right? Wisdom, where do you get your wisdom from? And you may take flack from the world on it. You may take hard knocks on it. Your personal, I don't know where your personal lives are right now, but if you've got messes going on in your life, and I think we all probably do, my life is very messy right now. There are some issues that are going on in my family, not me personally, thank, thank you, Lord, but in my world. And we have children, we have parents, we have siblings, we have extended family members, or we have close friends that, that feel like family members. And there's, there's dysfunction sometimes in these relationships. How do you handle them and where do you get your wisdom and who do you seek your counsel from when you're trying to figure out how to deal with it? Do you go based on your own gut, your own emotions? Well, what happens when your emotions are absolutely crushed, you're just upset, you're angry, you're stomping your feet. You're shaking your fist at these people in these situations. How do you calm yourself? And who do you go to to talk to so that you get a, a good 
sound advice on how to maybe deal with something, right? Okay, so that's, isn't that good stuff, guys? Good stuff. Um, how about your holy calling? Living to glorify God. What about the loving kindness of God? His faithfulness to forgive and to restore a repentant heart. The difference between David and, the, and Solomon, we're going to come to see it's all about this subject of God's loving kindness and what Solomon failed to do that his father did do. And that's where there was the difference. What about the justice of God? Now, this is a subject we don't really like a whole lot because, because our God is righteous. Romans, study, right? What must he do? Because he's righteous. He must judge sin. And if you're the sinner, you may not like that very much. Right? And the world, certainly, because God is calling sin, sin. Those of you who are involved with Planned Parenthood, and there's a lot of you here. And those of us in this room, we're all in agreement that life is to be protected. Right? Not taken. And so... The world looks at you like, well, who are you to tell me what to do with my body? And they will twist it so that they look like they're just being a defender of a person's place to stand and whatever, right? But God says, no, wait a minute. I have a principle. I am the author of life. I am the giver of life. I am the one who holds your life's breath, it says in Daniel 5. I hold your life breath in the palm of my hand. And I'm the only one that can, t that's right, okay. So the justice of God is another subject that we're going to be talking about. And sometimes when you see it written in scripture, it looks harsh because they don't expand on the backdrop of knowledge that there's, these people are supposed to have had about who God is, what his standards is, and that the fact that he is consistent. One, of the, one more subject that's really going to be awesome, we're going to talk about the sovereignty of God and how that applies to kings and kingdoms. And when we bring that into the New Testament, we've got, what do we have in our world here in America? We don't have a king, but we have a what? A president. And the fact that this, is, this study is going to help us to see how God is sovereign, whether that person loves him and follows him and obeys him or not. That means you can look globally around the world and every ruler, God has a hand in it. He is sovereign to either allow them or to actually put them in if he so chooses. And he will move mountains to put a person in as a, as a president or as a leader. And I would say that we have had a, an example of that recently. The world would not like me to say that. And they would hate me for my opinion on that. But I can tell you that when we're finished studying First Kings, we are going to see God is the sovereign over nations and leaders. He puts them in and he removes them. Daniel chapter 2. He says that very clearly in 20, verses 21 and 22. He raises up kings and he puts them down. He raises up kingdoms and he puts kingdoms down. All right. Whew. It's going to be a great study. I hope that these things here have given you a good grip. This right here, I think, is going to be real helpful. Just keep this in mind that there are going to be facts that you're going to be gleaning, and then later you're going to take life applications from them, okay? And I want you, by the way, P.S., there is one more point, real important. Okay, listen. Yoo-hoo. I want one, one more point. One more point I want to make here. 
I don't want you to miss this. <laughs> I don't want you to miss this. This is really important. Okay, that's okay. I broke this down like this because there are going to be times when God is speaking to the king uh, 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 and talking about consequences that are going to affect his kingdom. And then you're going to have to split the hairs also on occasions when he's speaking about the individual's personal salvation or, the, or his role as a leader or the nation on the whole. And it's tough to do sometimes. You've got to split the hairs on those. Because there can be a leader of a nation who's not a Christian, right? At, but yet God is going to use them. But then later, he's going to discipline that one or condemn them, right? Even though God used them. God put them in there. God gave them the power. And then God used them. And then God removed them and put them in hell. <laughs> I mean, well, eventually, right? I mean... But although the truth of the matter is, who is responsible for that? Our individual response. So that's why I broke this down. There's the nation, there's the individuals, and then there's the leaders. And so you're going to have to constantly be doing this balancing act of a lot like what we did in the book of Hebrews where you had to constantly do this balancing act of understanding. He was speaking to a congregation, not to an individual about their specific uh, salvation, although it had to do with salvation. It had to do about those who, who, who will have relationship with God and those who did not, and the consequences for choices. And so he handled it, but he spoke congregationally. And so you had to sometimes take the information that was coming to you, split the hairs on, and say, which one applies to me? Right? So in this book, you're going to have to do the same thing. Split the hairs. When is he speaking about a nation? When is he speaking about, the, about each individual? And when is he speaking about a leader who's representing that nation? Okay? That's going to be a little tougher. But I think we can get there, and I think the fact that we've identified it up early is going to be helpful to us. Okay? Yeah.